Hey geeks, this is Brian. A few weeks back, David and I decided to take a look at uh, Christmas, and at the heart of that Christmas message is the Incarnation. And we decided to reflect upon how the Incarnation is played out in the geek universes that uh, we like to uh, inhabit. We hope you enjoy this episode, whether you're a last-minute sermon prepper or whether you're just a geek uh, who likes to think about uh, things uh, through the- a theological lens. I know Dave and I both want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas uh, and enjoy our episode. So now let's get our geek on. Most certainly, just just to be clear, not Christmas. It is not Christmas, and and we don't want to you know upset the uh, liturgical police by implying that it is Christmas. But this is a uh, Christmas episode, nonetheless. A a not Christmas episode. It is a not Christmas episode, indeed. Yes, I see you're wearing your sweater. There is it is it is it cold? It is cold, but it's not too bad. The wind right now is the killer. It uh, it does make it a little brisk. Um, I think I think we're in the twenties. Hold on a second. I'm going to take mine off. It's very warm in this room. Uh-huh. <laughs> just let, 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 hey, let's just keep it clean. This is not that kind of podcast, okay? <laughs> I, I don't know uh, where you fall on the Myers-Briggs, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a perceiver, not a judger, and, and um, my, my inner P loves that uh, we are recording episode five while having episode number five already slotted and ready to go. Um, the, there's something deeply satisfying to the um, disorder of it all. I'm towards the middle of the JP uh, side of things, so it's not it's not stressing me out too much. But I am a J. So Brian, as we uh, head into uh, almost Christmas season, I, I have a uh, deep theological quote to to begin our podcast with today for you. Please shoot it. All right, the father becomes the son as the son becomes the father. Can you place it? Say that again? The father becomes the son and the son becomes the father. I'm I'm going to say something like, uh, well, it's not going (laughs) to... It sounds a little too like it's confusing the persons of the Godhead. So I I don't think it's an early church father, but um, no, I can't place it. Where, Where is that coming from? jor of Krypton, Superman Returns, 2006. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, I was thinking that we could talk some, uh, moving into to Christmas, we could talk about incarnation a little. And uh seems mm. to me to be a theme that uh, our genres uh, wrestle with some. Uh, uh, sometimes quite explicitly, uh, as in Superman Returns in 2006. Absolutely. So I, I think, you know, there, there are any number of ways we, we could bridge into this. Um, I was thinking about, um, you know, that to me is, is the one that jumps to mind most as, uh, 
sort of that incarnational imagery, but I know there are others, many others, uh, that we can think of and, and dissect and, and talk about where they fit together well and, and where they fall apart. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think they're all, they're all ultimately going to fall apart somewhere for us. So, um, but that's okay. Ooh, because we are all um, kind of living in a finite human world. So, Gosh, theological Eeyore here. We could think of some ideas, but they'll probably fail. Well, I think, I mean, I think for, let, let's just start here. So, I mean, if, if folks are listening and we use that big word incarnation, let's, let's be clear about what we are talking about when we say that. So what are we uh, talking about when we say that? I think, you know, uh, the important part um, for us to think about when we talk about incarnation is that sense of the, the, the movement of God beyond just a spiritual existence and coming and existing with us as one of us. I mean that's at the core of it. That's the that's the Christian heart of of right. incarnation, that in the flesh, and that's why we use it so much around Christmas because the the John passage and 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 God became flesh and dwelt among and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right, right. Which takes a number which takes a number of other things out of the mix, but we can get to that later. I just want to make sure that we lay that down out and and so in case somebody was there and we start talking about it um they at least have an understanding of where we where we start from oh that's awful nice of you i think that's a good place to start yeah so um let's let's start with the superman one because i i think that is a, a good one to go to right um he is uh as as luther would describe alien grace quite literally right uh he is yeah. from outside of us um and and comes in many ways to live among us as one of us for our own good. Um, where does it fall apart for you? Well, I think it comes about it's it's almost um, in the way he wears Clark Kent as a as a mask. Yeah. Um, he 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 falls apart because no matter how hard he might try, he he's not one of us. And I've said this before. Um, I mean, uh, I, I think Superman, I mean, I like Superman, but I don't find him nearly as interesting as Batman because of right. the, that, that sense of he can't fail. Um, he, he's too morally pure. Right. He, he doesn't exist in that, in that situation. Um, I've always felt as I, as I read um, the story of Jesus in Scripture that there's always that sense that it's his it's his real utter humanness that really brings a lot of of the victory through yeah so i think we can say um you know and i honestly that's that's why i i like it's not a lot of people's favorite but it's why that superman returns movie is is my favorite of the superman movies uh mm -hmm. because he he has a chance he doesn't have a chance he he does seem to physically fail his body fails him in a very human way in, in that movie but i think at the end of the day he is still, as you say, very clearly not one of us. So if if our incarnational formula is, right, uh, fully human, fully divine, uh, the Superman analogy falls apart in that he is wholly other and kind of pretending to be human. Yeah. It's a, it is perhaps in the, in the, the, the list of, of Aryan heresy, you know, yeah. he's, 
he's really God and 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 human with a little extra God thrown in on the side. You right. Know? Um, so that's that's part of that. So so here's let's let's jump universes and here's another one I like to think about, Iron Man. Hmm. Right. Okay. The, he 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 is. I mean, you're not going to tell me that Tony Stark is not flawed enough for you now, are you? No, no, no. And <laughs> I look, look. Um, Tony Stark is the Marvel analog of DC's Batman. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. But go ahead, continue on the. I'm I, I'm I'm intrigued by your your bringing up the Iron Man. Go ahead. Well, I I I just number one wanted to jump into to another another mindset, but also um, I think there is. Uh, there, there is something to the way he functions as beyond us. Uh, you know, you put him in the suit, and he is something more than we are. I, you know, I, I would say he's reaching for the divine as, as in a in a very, well, in a very real sense, as he's he's going back and forth with uh, uh, Thor, the uh, you know this one who is a deity, uh, uh, not particularly our deity, but is a deity. Uh, he is obviously reaching for the divine, uh, when he puts on the suit, um, and, and yet still maintains the very flawedness of being Tony Stark. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think that's, um, a, a good move for us. No, I, I like it, David. I, I think there is something there. I mean, he has those moments, he has those moments, he is, you, you get a real sense of his humanity. Yeah. But I, you know, he gets that same side of things. He is not always the best team player. He is what? still often focused on his his self and his ego um, is is highly engaged. Yes. <laughs> to say that uh, is perhaps putting it mildly. <laughs> I love the scene at the end of the first Iron Man where he, he comes out to make a statement. He's got all the cards, and, and he just takes them and he throws them out, and he goes, yep, that's me. It, it it's great you know the, theologically we we can put uh um i think stark certainly on the on the other end in, in many ways uh um fully human and pretending to be divine i don't know boy maybe we should write maybe we should write up uh, a um early church heresies as as embodied by um that's geek, that's kind of uh, what i'm thinking about that's what's running through my head um <laughs> what else you got I wonder about Gandalf. That was the same one I had in my mind. I've got some notes up on that, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, we, we go through the whole sort of... I mean, the way most folks enter into the story, you, you read The Hobbit and you read The Lord of the Rings, and then right. many folks fail to read any farther um, because the other stuff gets really difficult to read. But so you always have this sense, and you don't really get it until the very end of Lord of the Rings. That, you know what? No matter what Gandalf appears like, he's he's not one of it. He he has come from that eternal realm, right? And there he has a very clear sense of um, he is here as one of us. He is engaged for the greater good. He is uh, you know he has a larger narrative that he is working towards, not himself. He, there is a transformation in the midst of that. Yeah, um, but I, I so, think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to push back. Uh, um, like Gandalf seems to have this condescension. I love the character of Gandalf, but I think there's this condescension through the whole thing. He's very clearly. It's what I love about you know sort of the Tolkien verse um, 
C.S. Lewis world is there's not one clear Christ figure in Tolkien's word. You can kind of read Christ themes into a bunch of the figures. But, you know, Gandalf has some very clear, you know, death and resurrection, savior-esque stuff going on. Um, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> if, if you haven't heard. Uh, but there's this condescension to Gandalf that he is very clearly above everyone else. Very clearly he expects that, you know, certainly the hobbits don't have any idea what he's really up to. And the men, even though the men are even smarter, the, the, the human beings in the, in the, the story, you know, the human beings are a little bit still beneath him. His only peers are the other Istari. Yeah. Um, and so I think Gandalf suffers from Superman syndrome. He, he doesn't, he's not, he's functioning in the world, but he is very clearly not one of us. Okay. I, I can, I can see where you're coming from. I don't think he goes quite as far to the, to the side of, of, uh, Superman. I don't think he's quite at that extreme. I always sense that, you know, Gandalf, there were, there are times that he is in mortal peril. Sure. You know, and, and all that. And, um, he has, but you're, I, I get where you're coming from. He has that sense of, uh, he's got, he does have his own agenda. Um, right. And he's going to make the puppets dance, uh, according to that. And I, you know, if, if I were to pick a character in that universe, it would be, uh, Strider. Okay. Okay. So as you think about Aragorn, uh, and the character he is, he is more clearly in peril in lots of ways. Um, in the same way that others are. He's recognized by the other human characters as being a human like them, and yet he has this supernatural characteristic by being the heir of Isildur that provides him with something that the others don't have. It's not quite, you know, the... the the status of the Istari of Gandalf, but boy, he can go toe to toe with them. And, and he chose for a while, you know, he had his 40 days in the wilderness. He chose to, to, for a while, ignore all of that, that he inherited, you know, and, and ignore what that meant. And, and to live among, you know, the world as part of the world. Yeah. So maybe not. What about? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Keep going. Well, I was just going to say, maybe not quite as strong on the, you know, sort of divine otherworldliness as Gandalf, uh, Superman, but still a little bit closer to that side than, say, the Tony Stark, uh, uh, Bruce Wayne model where you're putting on a suit. Yeah. Since we already brought him up, what about Thor? Yeah. I mean, he certainly has that deity thing. Is he, is he too, in, is he too invulnerable? Um, the way uh, Superman is, is he? Is, is he that? Is he the opposite? Is he the contra example here um, for the incarnational? Maybe. Well, and and Thor is, uh, you know, and I think, you know, to live in the universe, Thor is a deity. Um, you know, uh, uh, not kind of, he is. Uh, yeah. You know, there's not an in between, and he doesn't seem in any no, I guess, way. To- I, I guess. As I started thinking about this more and more, I think um, 
I have both the I have both of both the um, kind of my my pro and con against it uh, together. He um, you know he is really completely other, and he and he comes down into the into the world um, kind of not sent by although he is sent he's mostly kind of in, in exile um, and then ends up in uh, sort of pleading on behalf of uh, Earth um, to Odin like. These people are worth it, and uh, it could get pretty ugly. But even in the, in, in, especially in some of the comic books, the way that the letterer writes it, the way he talks, it's just it's it's very clear in the in the lettering that he is not, you know, he, he speaks strangely. That the the text is always strange. So there's always something very foreign about him uh, in those in those senses. He is. He is sort of that unapproachable person, and so I, maybe he is the complete sort of antithesis of this incarnational side of things. He's a he's that exact opposite example here. Definitely not going to work out. Yeah, no, I, I think for me he he falls under the same sort of you know just too much too in much invulnerability, too much too foreign to us. I don't know what the human part is. Yes, he stands on our side, but I don't know what the as one of us pieces in that yeah. example for me, for me, here's let's think smaller. Yeah. Good. Frodo Baggins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see it. Right. Uh, I think, uh, this becomes very much the, uh, you know, the adoptionist model that because of what he does and what he does is in some ways, what any of us is capable of, but he's the one who does it, and because of what he does, he becomes something different. You know, at the end of the story, Frodo is not the same Frodo. Um, and, you know, to identify our, our early church heresies, this is adoptionism, but I think um, that does play in there, too. Yeah, I mean, and you know, that especially as we, I mean, I think it's impossible for us as, as pastors, right, to talk about, incarnation without talking about the story of Jesus, you know, and that whole side, I mean, in some ways, the whole notion of the incarnation is, is that unexpectedness there. Right. And, and, and Frodo is so incredibly unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that that becomes a, that becomes a uh, really important part of that story. So what about uh, some other universes? Well, I mean, Clearly, clearly, the uh, I just glanced over at my bookshelf and and they're all sitting there neatly in a row. And this one's unfair because it's it's written from a very Christian perspective. The the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh sure, well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it okay. It holds a place within the uh, within there, but okay. Yeah, well, and it's it's so obvious because it's made so obvious. Yes. <laughs> right. So all right, I'll, I'll I'll leave that one alone, but. Um, <laughs> So there's there's also I don't know if you remember there is a old uh, George Lucas movie uh, called Willow. Yes. Uh huh. Right. I, I, I mean, think, I think George, George Lucas all had had to see Willow. I think it was a requirement. It was. Oh come on, man! That was that was a good one. Um, so you, have, you end up with Willow, you know the the um, sort of the the chosen one, uh, but the major. Um, and so that's a really important part of that. Let's go Star Wars. Yeah. Who do you want to pick? 
Yeah, right. Uh, my my initial thought is to go Luke. Right. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I mean, he's clearly in uh, the one that we sense as the protagonist, the, the, the yeah. that beginner who uh, starts in very, you know, um, humble origins on that uh, backwater desert planet, and uh, uh, off we go. Yeah, but I don't, you know, I just don't see it unless you've got. Unless you got the prequels in mind, right? And you know the midi-chlorian immaculate conception stuff going on there. Um, there's nothing particularly special about Luke in the second series. I mean, he's a protagonist, but it's just kind of like he just kind of is. I don't know that there's anything really special about him that he's in some way other you know, if you're looking at the first trilogy, I think you'd have to say Obi Wan. Right, he was, that would have been the second the second name I went to. Yeah. Uh, in in that he he is um, that person outside of things that sort of yeah. comes into the mix that reawakens. Right. Things. Right. Now, once you, I think the prequels were told in a very clear way to to make it, you know. You've got to say that there's something to that for Vader and Luke both, you know, um, just because of the whole how are they born stuffy stuff that, you know. Yeah. Right. But I don't want to, because then you got to talk about the prequels. Anything to avoid that is that that's what your that's that, where, that's your that's your mantra, right? That is that kind of is my mantra. Yeah, um, I enjoy them okay, but not yeah. The storytelling for me just is so much better in the the second set or the first set or I the set. Um, the set. So yeah, I'd, I think I'd go I'd go. Um, you know. Obi Wan, uh, Yoda just has still too much, too much of the one and not the other. If that makes yeah. sense. Uh, I, I didn't think Yoda at all. Yeah, it's, there, there's not enough of the one of us in in Yoda. Um, Correct. And plus, I don't want to think about an incarnated whiner, so not Luke. I, you know, look. He lets out one line about going to the Tasha station for the power converters, and suddenly he, he's labeled that forever. Do we hear the whining at, at Jabba's palace when he when he rescues Han and Leia? No. But okay. Power converters to the Tasha station. Okay. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Uh, oh, here's, a question. here's a question that just sort of popped to mind. As I'm thinking through it, I'm like, well, can we just throw out any, any sort of um, community, any sort of universe and are we going to have um because I, I think star wars is a bit of a stretch um yeah well i think you star know, trek and, i can't really think of one star trek I, I, i'd blank in trying to think of one um firefly you know maybe river tam in some ways you know the she's had uh things done to her that make her beyond human uh, but they're not necessarily what you would want to happen to someone. So I'm not 100% sure that I'd go with, with you know, River Tam as as that sort of character. Maybe Shepard Book, but he's more priest-pastor than incarnation. Um, 
the other one I was very clearly thinking about is, uh, the doctor, uh, from Doctor Who. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's gonna be two examples of ones where you can't, Doctor Who, I think you can and you can't. It depends which, yeah. which, um, iteration of the doctor you're dealing with. Um, uh, I, I think Matt Smith's. I, go ahead. Keep going. Well, I was going to say some of the, the, the more recent doctors, especially as you get to the end of their time, uh, like David Tennant at the end of his time, when he says, you know, I don't want to go when, when he, when, when you're getting ready for the end of David Tennant's time, that there's something very human in that. Uh, and there's some very, as you get to the end of sort of each doctor's tenure almost, uh, as, well, especially these last few, they, they've become more human and less alien over the time. Um, kind of grown into their humanness or had humanness rub off on on them. Right. I I, I was just going to say that I think certainly I, I was going to agree with you that in that in the recent ones he definitely seems more human. Yeah. Um, than alien as as compared to the to the classic who, um, where he does just sort of seem there, you know, and. Very right. alien in on many fronts. The one thing that I do like about him, and in, in this, in this is that that aspect of incarnation, is that he is always connected to a physical body, right? And yeah, so I, I'm yeah. going to take this incarnation just in a little bit of a different move. He is always connected okay. to a physical body. There's always this sense of he's not this disembodied um, spirit that just sort of um, is out there. But that there's that right. there's that sense of body and spirit connected, so the in a sense the yeah. continues throughout the throughout that history. But then there's always that sense there, and that's one of the things that you know if we talk about the the, the wonders of incarnational uh, incarnational thinking is it, it it steers us away from Gnosticism that keeps us away from a right. dualistic um, oh the physical world is bad and the spiritual world is good. Um, if the spiritual world was bad. Yeah. Uh, Jesus never would have come and put on the flesh. So right. it's not right. the it's not the, and the doctor side is very of things clearly, that is right. inherently bad. And the doctor is very clearly enfleshed. Uh, you know, you can hurt his body. Uh, you he he can die. Um, you know, in some real ways. Um, so I think I was just watching the other day the episodes where uh, the family is hunting him, and he places his time lord in the watch and then he, uh, mm. he really is a very vulnerable human. That's the one yeah. sort of like episodes where if you want to talk about incarnation, that those episodes you could sort of do that. Although there's, right. there's very disembodied. Alright, so I think we've seen, you know, there are um, in lots of our sci-fi fantasy universes, you can talk about some sort of figure that tries to mesh together humanness and beyond humanness, if that's a good way of saying it, because they're not all necessarily divine, but they're non-human, uh, beyond human, better than humanness. Um, you know, it's not just that the Time Lords are alien, they're better than human beings. It's not just that being from Krypton is not human. It's that somehow being from Krypton makes you superior to humans. So lots of characters that sort of mesh together humanness and not humanness. It doesn't always happen, though. And I think think you're right to point that out. Yeah. I, 
and again, now boy, now the wheels are really spinning. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick another universe here, and this isn't a person, okay. but this is going to reflect a community. And this happens, I think, in some ways, a lot um, in these type of things. But if we go to The Walking Dead, there uh-huh. is an incarnational community versus the um, undead hordes that are around. And yeah. so there it doesn't necessarily resist or reside uh, – the incarnational aspect doesn't reside in, in a person or a, as, as far as like a messianic figure. Yeah. Although Rick – um, has those moments, right? Um, but um, and 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 I will say most of my familiarity with Walking Dead comes through the um, the graphic novels, not the show. Although I have I have seen, the seen show. a couple seasons of that, but that's and and to be fair, to be absolutely fair to to those who are listening, you can stretch just about anything to make this work. I think. Yeah, I think you can't stretch. So this is how this is how Oscar the Grouch is an incarnational figure, right? <laughs> he is sort of humanish, and yet he is beyond our humanish. Can I just say this then? He, this he, is a this is a miracle in some ways that um, Christianity has survived with this notion of of right. the incarnation, um, because it's so hard to. Even with Jesus, to to deal with the reality of a person who who exists truly divine and truly human, it's yeah. very difficult. Sometimes we want to lean more towards the divine side, and then other times we're going to lead towards the human. Other folks want to lead towards the human side, um, and then sometimes we confuse the two. Um, that right. Really, it it's it's very difficult um, for us. Yeah. And then to talk about the church as an incarnational community that sort of lives out that presence of Christ in the world. Gosh, how the heck have we survived? Right. And I think that's, that's kind of where I was going is uh, that tension is hard to hold together um, of, of fully human, fully divine. Um, and you're always trying to push to one side or the other. You're always trying to, I think, cut that tension of holding the entirely both at once, which is why as great as the storytellers are, we can sit here and we can say, this is where the analogy falls short. This is where the imagery falls short. This is where the, you know, incarnational human divine image presented here doesn't measure up to the one that we're getting ready to tell in the Christmas story. Um, as good as it is, as good as all of these storytellers are, it falls short because it tries to cut that tension. I, I agree. Uh, the other side of it, too, is while we get to proclaim it, I, I think the, the great thing for us is the good news is not wrapped up in how well we figure out the incarnation, right? So that it's, yeah. it's wrapped up in, okay, hey, here is the incarnation. And now, you know, we're gonna we're gonna teeter and totter between human and divine, and uh, and all that sort of uh, reality there, and flesh and not flesh and divine, and that we one of the things we get to do is just sort of in this season, I think sometimes is rest in that just absolute beauty of this reality. Nice to see. Um, 
there you go. Uh, I think yeah, there, there's there's a reason that these great Christian doctrines are called mysteries. That that we dwell in them more than we understand them. That we spend time praying over them as much as we spend understanding them. Um, and, and and we're never going to fully get it. We're never going to fully understand it, and that's okay. Yes. And that's why I think it's great that we also at, at Christmas time we get the we get the great hymns, um, not just the not just the, the carols, but I, you know I think of like one of my one of the my favorite Christmas hymns is of the Father's love begotten that starts to um, and and unpack the the incarnation in this beautiful poetic and really beautifully haunting melodic fashion for us. Um, it's a way for us to enter into that mystery without having to get it all or or or, or figure it out. Well, we we are at time, uh, um, running out of time. Um, I think uh, rather than our normal sign off of of um, talking about the geekiest thing we've done this week, let's hold that till we get together again. Um, I want to say, you know, Merry Christmas to you, Brian, and, and to your family, and and to everybody who's listening. Um, Same here, David. Same here. Wish you. You know, as we think about this, we, you and I, we think there's actually something good about being a geek, uh, that, that there's something that, that matches up to what we're getting to celebrate and matches up to what we preach every Sunday, uh, in being a geek, being, uh, uh, someone who listens to the voice of the outsider and, and, um, speaks powerful stories and symbols. Uh, and so, uh, I think I've got our sign off. Geek be with uh, you. Also with you, man. As always, thank you so much for listening. Connect with us at, on Twitter at Geek Church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekchurch. You can find Brian Bennett on Twitter at Brian underscore O underscore Bennett and me, David Hansen, at Rev underscore David. On behalf of Brian and I both, we wish you Christmas blessings and a happy new year. Geek be with you. Mm-hmm.